MSW Media. News was wearing. Daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello. Welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, December 31st, 2020. Today, Mitch McConnell kills the $2,000 stimulus payment. The Senate is set to override Trump's veto of the National Defense Authorization Act. Cy Vance ramps up his investigation into Donald Trump again. Two detectives in the Breonna Taylor case have been fired as the two officers that shot Tamir Rice will not be charged. Biden's Department of Justice will bring back policing the police and new details in the Nashville bombing. I'm your host, A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Uh, Dana, I woke up with a sore throat, no fever. Oh, no. Um, so my voice might be a little... Sexy? N- not with it. To, yeah, a little, <laughs> little <laughs> Kathleen Turner. Yeah. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. I think the I think the listeners are going to enjoy it. No apologies necessary, <laughs> but I do hope that you're feeling okay. Yeah, I hope it's nothing. Um, I hope it goes away because now we've got our first case of the UK variant. Uh, I'm uh, sure there's here. more. I mean, we knew that. The numbers are exploding at a rate that doesn't make sense even with everything that they charted and with the, you know, the things that were going to happen. We, I mean, our numbers in Southern California are literally off the charts. Yep. Yep. Literally. And, you know, and, you know, I think it's been here for a couple of weeks. I don't have any proof of that. I've not read that anywhere. But right. usually when you've got people who haven't been in contact or traveled, you, you've already achieved community spread. And that means it's been here for a minute. Uh, so we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, a little later, also, I'll be talking to Olivia Troy. You know, she's the former advisor to Mike Pence at the Coronavirus Task Force, uh, former DHS advisor to him as well. And, you know, she turned whistleblower um, and exposed sort of what was going on inside those task force meetings. And her and I are going to talk about this incredibly botched vaccine rollout. Oy. So you, you don't want to miss that. She breaks a little bit of news uh, in an exclusive scoop uh, with with the Daily Beans. And then also thanks to everyone who, who was at our Q&A with uh, Andrew Torres and myself on Tuesday at five. We do that every Tuesday at five Pacific time on the stereo app. It's so much fun. And thanks to everyone who asked questions. They were really good, thoughtful questions. And that's all leading up to our new show that's going to debut on January 20th, Inauguration Day. We're going to be following how Biden rebuilds the Department of Justice. He hasn't announced his attorney general pick yet. Um, And it is this is the last day of 2020. Uh, And he said he was going to do it before the end of the year, but he has not. So Again, I don't know if he's waiting to see what happens in Georgia or not, which might be smart. Yeah. But, you know, most most presidents have picked their attorney general by now. Uh, Trump picked his on November 18th uh, when he named Jeff Sessions. And I think Obama named his Eric Holder on December 1st. So he's really late but you know he's got a lot to consider yeah with that with that pick yeah there's a lot to clean up there is a lot to clean up (laughs) yeah so it has to be the right pick uh and and it's going to piss off some people no matter who he picks of course not everyone's going to be pleased with it so that is uh what's going on and then of course dana you have your uh show tonight that 
we should all be attending. I do. I do. So hopefully you're listening to this before uh, 6 p.m. Pacific or 9 p.m. Eastern, and you're on my Facebook page. And if you're not already there, just go join my fan page. I'll make sure that the video is up and running. Uh, or you can also go to Olivia Travel, Olivia Travel's page, because they're going to be uh, streaming it right into there too. So, you know, I don't know exactly what's going to come out of my mouth or my guest's mouth, but it's just going to be a nice hour of, you know, some jokes and people talking and just saying goodbye to the year. Yeah, it is a tough one. So. Yeah. And, and I'm just so happy it's the last day of oh 2020. My God. And I, I mean, even <laughs> I know this is going to drag on for a few more days, but it really is the end of a hellish year. So if we can just take some, take some solace in that and really just put this one behind us. And this is what I'd like to say. Last year started off with a really high bar and then it went fucking downhill from there. This year we're starting off at a real low bar and it can only go up from here. <laughs> That's very true. And it will. It yeah. has to. It There's has no to. way it can go down any lower. Than yeah, no, the well, bar six feet under. <laughs> I don't know. Some of the news stories we've got today, especially the one you're going to tell us about the details from the, the Nashville bombing. Um, yeah, really put a n- nice cap on 2020. Let me tell you. Good lord. Uh, let's do it. Let's get into the headlines. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, the lead story today is not the lead story anywhere else, but I've decided it is what is most important, and it is that two detectives in the Breonna Taylor case have been sent letters saying they're going to be fired. They haven't been fired yet. They've got pre-termination letters. One is the officer that fired the fatal shot that killed Breonna Taylor. The other is an officer who lied on the warrant application. He, he said on the warrant application that Breonna Taylor had been accepting packages as part of her boyfriend's alleged drug operation. She had not. So they lied to get that no-knock warrant. They shouldn't have even been there. And I don't understand why they're not in jail. Um, So that is absolutely a stunning piece of news that somehow got buried today. But I think it's one of the most important pieces of news. Uh, I agree. So I put it up front here. And the officers that killed Tamir Rice will not face criminal charges either. And now Biden is planning to reinstate a police, the police program that the Obama Justice Department had in place, but Trump scrapped. One example was the, of their, one of their investigations was the New Haven Police Department. I don't know if you remember that, but the Justice Department under Obama described a discriminatory pattern of traffic stops and a host of other practices by the East Haven Police Department as unconstitutional policing. Court-negotiated changes came alongside charges of four officers, each whom served prison time. The five-year path to completion had the effect of reversing a long legacy of discrimination and vaulting the department into the ranks of the most progressive in Connecticut, local activist advocates, officers, advocates, officers, and early opponents of the department had said. But using consent decrees as an instrument to restructure police departments was largely abandoned by the Trump administration, which broadly rolled back civil rights efforts by the Justice Department. The Obama administration opened 25 pattern or practice investigations of police departments compared to one under President Trump. And in January, the department is expected to resume policing the police, as President-elect Joe Biden has said he intends to make civil rights a major focus of his administration. And it comes in a moment when scrutiny of American policing, you know, has never it's never been higher than it is this year. Uh, At 2015 Washington Post examination of police departments, um, compelled by the Justice Department, found the department's modernized some aspects of policing but had limited impact on the use of force. And some experts hope the Biden administration will focus on a collaboration as an alternative to legal action against departments while reserving that option when egregious behavior is discovered, as happened in East Haven. 
quote, the Department of Justice must have subpoena power for pattern or practice investigations into systemic misconduct by police departments and force these departments to reform. So he would also, uh, Biden would also like to revive the Justice Department's Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services, which in the Obama administration examined police practices through a program known as collaborative reform, but that stopped under Trump, too. So he's going to bring all that back. Well, I think we all can agree that the police uh, departments in many places need, need reform. So I'm all for getting some of this fixed. A hundred percent. And that's the least, it's the least we can do. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the douchebag Mitch McConnell has effectively killed. Yeah, I'm starting like that. Uh, the $2,000 stimulus checks by attaching pork to the, <laughs> sorry, he's such a pig. So it's funny that he's attaching pork to the clean bill. The Democrats passed to make it unpassable. Uh, he's not even going to let the Senate vote on the clean bill, AG, he won't put, he won't put up a vote on the calendar unless the bills also includes an election investigation, as we talked about yesterday, um, on the commission and the repeal of section 230. Um, in a speech on the Senate floor, he said he wouldn't allow a vote on checks for our rich Democrat friends, whatever that means, <laughs> since he's a fucking millionaire and his wife is stealing a lot of money right now, uh, from the government. So Bernie actually kept his filibuster going, pointing out that 10 of the poorest 25 counties in America are also where? (laughs) In Kentucky. So it's just such a gross thing to say. Uh, And you know what? He probably wouldn't say something like that if Georgia hadn't turned blue because he would have been just fine with the way things are going. But uh, the Senate moved one step closer to handing Donald Trump a major defeat when it overwhelmingly voted to take up a measure to override his veto in the NDAA. And uh, as we talked about before, this was the first time in 60 years this um, bill has been vetoed. Wednesday evening, the Senate approved a procedural motion that sets up a final vote this weekend. The final tally was 80 to 12. Uh, that's way more than the two-thirds of the chamber needs to override the veto this weekend. So uh, in a true eh, in true Senate fashion, the Wednesday vote was merely the first in a series. The chamber, yeah, the chamber's on pace to vote Friday to end debate on the override measure, then take a final vote, <laughs> final override vote late Saturday or next Sunday morning. So yeah, they have to debate it, then they have to vote to end the debate, and then and they then have they to have vote to, to, to debate it to who's on first. Yes. <laughs> All right. And this is the fucking best right here from the Washington Post. Oh, I could bring the it. Man, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office has retained a forensic accounting specialist firm uh, to aid in its criminal investigation of Trump and his business operations as prosecutors ramp up their scrutiny of his company's real estate transactions once again. District Attorney Cy Vance opened the investigation in 2018 to first examine the catch-and-kill hush money payments. That was after the Southern District of New York closed their inquiry into it. The probe has since expanded and now includes the Trump Organization's activities more broadly. That's according to people familiar with the matter. Vance's office has, including myself, I'm familiar with this matter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Vance's office has suggested in court filings that bank tax and insurance fraud are areas of exploration, especially, you know, after Cohen testified. And later, Trump's own tax return showed that he inflated and deflated asset value to avoid taxes and defraud insurance companies. Vance has contracted with FTI Consulting to look for anomalies among a variety of property deals and to advise the district attorney on whether the president's company manipulated the value of certain assets to obtain favorable interest rates and tax breaks. That's according to another person with knowledge of the investigation who, like others, spoke on the condition of anonymity because the matter remains highly sensitive. The probe is believed to encompass transactions spanning several years. 
Headquartered in Washington, FTI provides a range of financial advisory services to clients worldwide in in both public and corporate sectors. Uh, We provide the industry's most complete range of forensic, investigative, data, analytic, and litigation services. That's according to a corporate brochure. I didn't know they still made brochures. Right. Which also noted FTI's extensive experience serving leading corporations, governments, and law firms around the globe. The analysts hired by Vance probably have already reviewed various bank and mortgage records obtained by, you know, obtained from Trump's company as part of the ongoing grand jury investigation. They could be called to testify should the district attorney bring criminal charges. That's according to a person familiar with the arrangement. Our friend Joyce Vance says on Twitter that forensic accountants are going to be the heroes of 2021. I think they are, too. Like I said, I think he's going to be like the Eric Trump of, oh, God, what was the guy that went to, uh, why is his name slipping? It was such a good, it was such a good line. Oh, the te- who, went to, who went to prison for tax, but he, like, was a complete mobster. Uh, Manafort? No, like in the, in the past. Capone? Al, Al Capone? Al Capone. Ah. Uh. Yeah, forget it. Can you edit that out, Mac? I'm just kidding. Leave it in. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to make everyone listen to it. (laughs) Oh, geez. Sometimes the jokes just don't hit people. Um, I know. You're like, I'm sorry. I cut off your fabulous punchline. There was no no fabulous. I know. You're like, there wasn't. I was like, I felt something coming. Okay. uh, This last story is intense because obviously Nashville's been through so much already this year. And this is just another thing that they had to wake up to Christmas morning. But there's actually some strange details emerging about the Nashville bombing. First, the FBI and National Police are facing questions about a 911 call last year made by the bomber's girlfriend about her being concerned he was making bombs in his RV. The the police responded but had no probable cause to search the RV, and they just left. Currently, police are combing through the suspect's social media and personal writings, and Frank Galuzzi sent you a story uh, that investigators are exploring several conspiracy theories has potential motives, including evidence that the bomber believed in lizard people. Uh, That's an internet conspiracy that powerful politicians and Hollywood figures are actually lizards or other reptiles who have extraterrestrial origins and are taking over society. Now, adherents of the unfounded conspiracy theory believe that politicians and other prominent people, including the Clintons, and I shit you not, A.G., Comedian Bob Hope, who died in 2003, are actually lizard-like creatures sent to Earth and are responsible for a number of historic tragedies. I'm serious. Justin Bieber and the Obamas have also been named on the conspiracy theory. Bob Hope. So the USO. Yes. He's a lizard person. Um, Which is still not, which which is frustrating because that would still not give him the label terrorist unless there was a link between the violent act and the social objective. For example, if he believed the lizard people controlled AT&T. I don't mean to laugh, but listen, this is obviously a mental health issue we're dealing with. Um, And like I said before, if it was around the towers and this guy was surveilling his own house with a lot of recording equipment, he may have been absolutely a paranoid schizophrenic. He could have, it could be any of these number of things, but clearly there were signs a year in advance there was a 911 call from his girlfriend. How do these things get ignored? Well, I mean, I guess if you show up and there's no probable cause to search and you can't get a warrant or a judge won't give you one, I mean, there's really nothing law enforcement can do, you know, unfortunately. Well, you can get one of the cops from the Breonna Taylor um, case, have them (laughs) lie on the and do a no-knock on his RV. I'm so fucking irritated right now. That's with- the thing that fucking sucks, is that you've, you've got dirty cops lying to get no-knock raids in those situations, and here you've got cops with, you know, an actual 
domestic terrorist. I, you know, I understand. I, I allegedly, I will say that so you don't get in trouble. But we need to label this guy exactly what he is. <laughs> you notice how I said you, even though you didn't say it, because it's your show. <laughs> yeah, and uh, anyway, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's bad. It's really bad. There are two justice systems. We've said yeah. this forever. So yeah. Uh, anyway, there are. You know, only two points. We're going to switch gears here and talk about COVID. There's only 2.6 million COVID vaccines that have been administered, missing the goal of 20 million by a mile. Trump is now saying it's not his job. It should be up to the states. The CDC is forecasting another 82,000 deaths just in the next 24 days alone. Jesus. And I'll be right back to discuss the botched vaccine rollout with former task force advisor to Mike Pence, Olivia Troy. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of The Beans is brought to you by Nebbia. So that's my favorite part of the day, is the shower. And Nebbia has designed a beautiful, incredible way to save water and have a shower that just gives you this spa-like experience. It's incredible. I'm excited to tell you about Nebbia. They want to empower your shower. They're backed by some of the biggest names in Silicon Valley, including Tim Cook. And it's designed by former Tesla, NASA, and Apple engineers. They spent years researching developing superior shower experience. That saves water. It's so important. And it's anything but ordinary. The Nebbia takes your shower to a different level. It's like a steam room, like I said, combined with an invigorating shower. It's like a spa day. It's absolutely wonderful. And the Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower is Nebbia's most advanced shower yet, with twice the coverage and half the water usage of standard shower heads. But despite using 45% less water, its spray is 81% more powerful than the competition. Nebbia's atomized droplets rinse shampoo and conditioner out of the longest, thickest hair. It can be easily installed in 15 minutes. If you can change a light bulb, you can install Nebbia by Moen. And Nebbia balances functionality with beauty, too. The clean aesthetic they have is amazing. And it's available in four finishes, so you can complement any bathroom. They have white and chrome, spot-resistant nickel, matte black, and black and chrome. And they have accessories like shower shelves and shower curtains that pair perfectly with the shower stunning design. The Nebbia by Moen Spa Shower starts at just $1.99, and for the Daily Beans listeners, we have a deal for you. The first 100 people to use code BEANS at nebbia.com right now will get 15% off site-wide. Nebbia rarely does deals like this, so it's great to jump on. So go to nebbia.com slash beans. That's N-E-B-I-A dot com slash beans to check out what they have to offer. First 100 people to use the code BEANS when checking out will save 15%. Again, that's nebbia.com slash beans, and use that code BEANS to save 15%. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today to discuss the botched rollout of the COVID vaccine is former COVID task force advisor to the vice president, Olivia Troy. Olivia, welcome. Hello. It's good to join you again. Yeah, good to talk to you again. Um, we've been talk, we've been chatting offline for a while, uh, but before we started this interview, and I, I wanted to bring up some of the things that we were talking about, because first of all, you are you have inside like intimate knowledge of what goes on inside these task force meetings. How did this vaccine rollout get so by? I mean, at first it was 40 million, then 20 million, then now and we're just sitting over 2 million. And, and I understand that that number might be lagging a little bit because of reporting, but it's so far missed the mark. It missed the mark so by like a mile. How did it how did it get so bad? Well, so I think, you know, to put it in a more descriptive way, I think this is the product and brainchild of a shadow task force is how I would call it. Because the way that Operation War Speed was run and decisions on the vaccine was actually completely separate than the actual COVID task force, which I realize makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> <laughs> but welcome to uh, the White House <laughs> as it currently is. <laughs> 
And so this is a product of a group of people who met on Operation Warp Speed repeatedly behind closed doors. And a lot of the times, I'll be honest, they didn't include the medical experts on the task force. They didn't have Dr. Brooks in the meetings at times. They didn't have Dr. Fauci. They didn't have like the people who actually understand how these things get rolled out, who understand hospital networks, who understand how difficult it is in these health departments. Uh, so what you have is a group of individuals like Secretary Azar, who is so busy protecting his own hide so he doesn't get fired, that he's constantly manipulating things behind the scenes. And I know that I'm being very frank and honest, and he doesn't often get called out, but he really should be relying on the experts within his own department. Right? And that is where this has kind of failed, is you have a group of individuals who have been trying to control this entire thing without utilizing the expertise of the federal government. Yeah, and, and there's so much there to utilize. Um, and it's just, it, you know, you wonder if it's being incompetently ignored or purposefully shoved aside. Um, and, and so you, you mentioned Azar, and I know that, like, it seems like there were some tasks assigned to certain people that did really well. For example, um, General Todd Semonite, I believe was his name. He was Army Corps of Engineers. He's the guy who set up the field hospitals. And he did it in like a day. And he, when he went on the news, he was like, this and this, and this is what we're doing. And this is the plan. And, and he did it. And I was like, that guy, that guy needs to be in charge of things. And is it is it Brett Girard that... Because didn't somebody else, didn't another guy take the fall for this, like fall on his sword for this? And, and, but, but like, where is the blame? Where does it lie? Yeah. So what you saw was General Aperna came out and said, this is my fault for the way it launched. I take sole responsibility. You know, I respect that. I respect that as a military officer, because those are few and far between that still exhibit honor as, you know, a part of this White House. Um, I respect the fact that he came forward and took responsibility for it. However, it just didn't add up to me, right? I mean, you have had several months of planning to really think about the execution of how you're gonna distribute the vaccine. You're gonna think about logistics, you're gonna think about supplies, you're gonna think about the distribution network, how you're gonna tap into the hospital network, what other pharmacies, what grocers, like anything like that. Which by the way, we also wrestled with back in the spring when it came to testing. And when it came to PPE. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, like, they can't say, they can no longer say, well, this is brand new to us. We've never done this. You just, you you botched it in, in April, uh, you know, with, with and a, a lot of that had to do with Azer as well, right? Um, but you went through this and you learned lessons. There should have been, like, a best practices slide deck put together. I mean, I've worked for the government for 12 years. I know how this goes, right? You, you say, these were our, uh, this is where we came up short. These are our best practices. This is what we need to do when we, when we roll out another thing where we have to deliver a bunch of things to a bunch of places. Like, we've done this. Yeah, and the thing with Admiral Jawah that I will say is, you know, he was supposedly effectively the testing czar. He's supposed to be the testing expert, all things testing. And now I guess he's becoming the vaccines are because he's now the talking head on this issue for Secretary Azar. But, you know, the general that you mentioned, you're right, he was excellent. He did an incredible job setting up the field hospitals, but that is DOD, right? That's the Department of Defense working in conjunction with FEMA, with Administrator Gaynor, who was very involved 
in these conversations, who was hands-on making sure that they were setting up field hospitals and that we were working with the military to figure out if we were gonna need you know, the, the ships that they docked in hotspots to see if they needed extra hospital capacity. That was a partnership with FEMA and a group of people who understand disaster response and what to do in a situation like a crisis. And so, you know, it should be a partnership. It should be a partnership between agencies like FEMA and HHS. HHS who may not necessarily be equipped to do hands-on disaster response at this level with this magnitude that we have in this pandemic. But again, Pete Gaynor hasn't been in those conversations. He's not been part of that entire conversation. Granted, FEMA has other responsibilities, right? We had the natural disasters that they're responsible and there's a hurricane season. And so there were concerns about how they were going to manage all of it, which is why in the end, they kind of transfer back responsibility on the PPE thing. But what I'm saying here is that there is a framework for all of this on how we handle these situations. And there's a network that you can tap into regionally that governors and states are familiar with, which is why that disaster response network works. Is It's familiar, people can turn to that. But what you have here is we're not following any playbook. There's no national strategy on the vaccine distribution, right? There's been no national strategy on the testing. There's been no national strategy on technically PPE until Pete Gaynor comes in and tries to, you know, figure it all out and bring some sort of order to the chaos because it was chaos that I lived personally. And so when you have all of that, it doesn't matter how many billions of dollars you spend on Operation Warp Speed on investing on the development of the vaccine and the work of these amazing scientists and doctors who have worked so hard to really find a solution to this major virus and problem. All of that goes to the wayside if you can't actually deliver the vaccine to the populations that need it. Now, Pete Gaynor, that's the one who took responsibility? No, that was Administrator Gaynor Administrator is the head of FEMA. But General Perna oh, okay. was the one in, yeah. Perna, General Perna. What, it, what who, who is he? What is his role? I'd never seen him before he came out and, and said everything was his fault. <laughs> so he, he technically is involved um, with sort of the logistics of Operation Warp Speed and what was happening. And so he says, you know, they underestimated uh, the distribution and need. And a lot of it was Pfizer related. And that's why the governors, you know, good on them. They start to sort of, you know, get upset and they start to call them out and say, well, where is it? And then you have Pfizer who comes to their own defense and says, look, it's out there. We have it. It's ready. It's not us. It's just, it's not their responsibility to distribute it, right? <laughs> it's just not, not their role in this whole process. And, you know, these people are, are so vindictive that for a while there was concern from people within the administration that this was a complete setup because Pfizer was not, chose not to be part of Operation Warp Speed because they didn't want to politicize it because this is such a sensitive thing. And as we've seen, the president at times did try to politicize it. He bullied the FDA publicly, he called them deep state. And that was also not productive for getting confidence in the vaccine. And so you have Pfizer who says, no thanks, we're just gonna kind of pursue you this on our own and keep full speed ahead. We'll work in partnership and you know we'll be supportive. Uh, and then you have Moderna, who, you know, Dr. Fauci and other scientists were heavily involved in, which did amazing work for the, uh, you know, the time frame that they were able to develop the vaccine. But the issue 
with that is that Moderna was part of Operation Warp Speed. And so there were concerns in the administration with people who are still part of this administration that you know they didn't rule out the fact that this was somewhat vindictive which is appalling huh yeah that that is really appalling and i want to talk to you a little bit more about that but i have to take a quick break will you stick around of course all right great everybody uh stay with us we'll be right back hey everybody it's ag and this helping a daily beans is brought to you by fight camp My gym is closed, I need a workout that keeps me motivated and is always fresh, and that is why I have to tell you about Fight Camp. So if you're you're like me and you're looking for a challenging workout that's always fun and exciting and never boring, Fight Camp is the thing, right? It's this at-home boxing and bodyweight workout taught by real fighters, and it's made for all levels, from seasoned fighters to first-time boxers, and even kids. Kids love this, too. It's so much fun. The boxing workout is always ranked as one of the best ways to get in shape. It's the most fun way to get a full-body workout and combine cardio and strength training while developing hand-eye coordination. Fight Camp provides all the gear you need, including gloves, wraps, and the best freestanding punching bag on the market, and they have this unique punch tracking sensor that shows you real-time progress and stats on any iOS device. The workouts are structured like traditional boxing rounds, with interval training that burns a lot of fat. So they have three minutes of high-intensity boxing and body weight training and then one minute of rest. Then you can access over 400 different workouts for all fitness levels and skills. And they have new ones every week too, so it's always fresh. And you can connect with Fight Camp on Facebook. They have over 4,000 members, so you can enter challenges and compete a little bit there. Watch yourself reach new milestones, and you can bring that goal-crushing mentality to other parts of your life as well. Fight Camp keeps you engaged. It keeps my anxiety low. I get, I get. It's just, it's so wonderful, and I'm focused and in the zone. They have endless variety, uplifting beats, motivating trainers, powerful technology, all combined together to create a uniquely satisfying workout. And Fight Camp offers flexible financing for as low as zero percent APR. And right now, for a limited time, you can try Fight Camp for 30 days with their money back guarantee. Just go to joinfightcamp.com/beans. That's right. Try Fight Camp for 30 days, and if you don't love it, they'll refund your money, just like that. So train like a fighter and turn your sweat into results. To try Fight Camp for 30 days, go to joinfightcamp.com slash beans. Again, joinfightcamp.com slash beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're talking to Olivia Troy about this vaccine rollout and how, you know, we missed the mark pretty badly. Uh, We were supposed to have 20 million doses out by the end of this month. And with just a day left, we're somewhere between two and three million. Uh, And before we went to the break, you had mentioned that some in this administration that are currently still there thought that maybe this was vindictive, meaning uh, my understanding is that uh, Trump was angry with Pfizer for not being part of Operation Warp Speed. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, there's certainly been conversations had about that situation. And just, you know, after that article hit about Pfizer, you know, became public that the administration had the opportunity to purchase more vaccines and allocations uh, back in the summer that were offered to them, but they didn't because they were banking on other vaccines coming to fruition that were part of off warp speed. But really, when you're actually trying to save lives and protect the American people, the federal government should be advocating always on the side of erring on the side of caution, right? And, you know, there are no promises with any of these vaccines. We hope that all of them will come to fruition and actually be effective. But back in the summer, we certainly had no way of knowing which ones were going to succeed. I mean, we had hope and there were trials and we remained positive, but <laughs> I don't understand how you turn that down, not knowing what's going to happen further down the road. Yeah. And, and that to remind everybody, we had reported on that. That was about a hundred million doses, I think, that were turned down. And 
that's when you started hearing the news that the UK was going to get the vaccine before we got it because of, of that deal that didn't go through. Uh, but I think since then, they've secured those additional 100 million doses um, after probably, I don't know, maybe some backlash. Um, but And I do want to say that the development of the vaccine, I didn't think we were going to get this until mid-next year. And so they did do an incredible job. I don't know if it was this administration or if, you know, I, I would say it's probably more the scientists and the developers uh, of this vaccine that got this done very quickly and got the, the, the phase three trials done and everything um, with enough people to, you know, a large enough sample group. And to, to, but you put it right back in the hands of this administration to distribute it and it's just, it fails miserably. And how many months do you think this puts us behind? Many. I mean, it's just such a tragic situation because you have a group of experts who worked so hard in this development, right? I remember conversations on the task force about the Moderna vaccine and everything that NIH was doing. And I remember Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins, they were so proud of the work of the people uh, that of the people that was what was happening, right? And how m how much momentum they had on it and how quickly they were moving forward. And so we certainly, I mean, we, like you, I commend them on that. But the fact that while this was being done, there was not actually a whole team or effort devoted to lay the network and the planning on this for when any of these vaccines were actually ready to go is astonishing. And, you know, I, I feel terrible for the Biden administration who's going to come in and they know that you know, all this money has been expected, invested in Operation Warp Speed. And I don't for one second think that they should expect any cooperation in this transition as they move forward. And my greatest fear is, you know, they will come in and they will realize sort of that the emperor has no clothes when they get there and there's actually really no strategy or plan. And I don't believe that there really is because that would be, there'd be no reason not to be executing that right now, other than the fact that this administration ha has lost and they, they don't care and it's really somebody else's problem and they're going to do everything they can to make, you know, the Biden administration's, you know, in coming months miserable. But the very, the most egregious part of all of this is that you're affecting human life and you're hurting Americans while you do it. That's really the bottom line. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I remember you and I had spoken a little bit. I wanted to ask you about this transition because Biden gave some remarks, I think it was yesterday, where he said, or the day before, where he said, look, I'm having a, we're, ha we're facing a lot of roadblocks with the Pentagon and with the Office of Management and Budget. And you and I had spoken offline a little bit about the role that the Office of Management and Budget plays in something like distributing vaccines. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, you know, the power of OMB, I have to say, I've, I saw it firsthand. And I think that is something that has played a much larger role in a pandemic response than they should have. And they have a lot of control. And whenever, you know, there were guidances, for example, at the beginning with CDC, things that should not have been going through their review were being reviewed by these people, right? These are not medical experts. They really have never actually, it's my understanding with conversation with CDC and others, that wasn't the norm in the past. That's never been done. And so I wasn't, you know, I'm not surprised that OMB is once again in the middle of this and playing politics at a time where it's critical for Americans 
because I have seen the director of OMB and how complicit he is for just being brutally honest. I mean, he does everything that he is told to do. And the problem with that is that, you know, when you're impeding a transition like this during a crisis of this magnitude, you are hurting so many different areas of our stability and security, and you're just setting us more and more behind. And so it's upsetting to hear that they are putting up these obstacles and they're not allowing the access that the Biden team needs. I mean, what really should be happening right now is just an acceptance that, you know, their tenure is over, they've lost, and doing the right thing would be to sit down with the Biden team and be very transparent about where things stand on a number of issues, especially when it comes to this pandemic. Yeah, I agree. And then, of course, we know that, you know, Trump had said um, that it is the Pentagon and the Department of Defense that are going to be working on distributing this vaccine. So the fact that the two major roadblocks that Biden is, you know, is facing right now happen to be with the Pentagon and the Office of Management and Budget. And and, and that's why I was very worried about the um, last minute changes in staffing, you know, the number one, two and four at, at the Pentagon uh, just all in one week and not the most competent or experienced people. And it just feels, you know, you were talking about vindictive about the Pfizer thing. It just feels like he's trying to break everything so that Biden has more to put back together. Right. No, I agree with that. I think the strategy here is burn everything down as much as possible and make it really hard for them and then sit on the sidelines once they're in office and criticize them, because I fully expect that to be the plan. I fully expect, you know, these people to sit on the sideline. And I think it it probably gives the president, the current president, uh, you know, a long lasting role. And I have no doubt that he is the type of person who can't let go and can't accept that he's lost power and he will continue to sort of push this rhetoric from the sidelines and his supporters will follow. And it'll, uh, you know, it'll be a very divisive and challenging time. Well, uh, I I hope that it gets smoother going forward. We definitely need to get this vaccine out. They worked so hard to develop it. And and, and it's just and it's just a shame to see it sit in the warehouse like that and, and not be put in people's arms. But thank you for spending some time with me today. Former COVID task force advisor, the vice president, Olivia Troy, one of my favorite whistleblowers. Thank you. Thanks very much. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by the most delicious thing I've ever put in my mouth. It's Magic Spoon Cereal. If you're a cereal lover like me, you have to give it a try. So, uh, you know, ever since I was a kid, I love cereal. I used to eat like a box of cereal every day watching Saturday morning cartoons. But when I was a grown-up, I couldn't eat the cereal anymore because of all sugar and chemicals. But that's where Magic Spoon comes in. It's brought me back to my love of cereal because it's delicious. You won't believe that it's good for you, and it's made without all the sugar, carbs, and guilt. Truly, Magic Spoon is good, so good, you won't believe it's healthy. And as Forbes magazine says, with cereal that tastes this good and offers so much nutritional value, as opposed to, well, none, Magic Spoon may be the future breakfast. Magic Spoon cereals have, amazingly, zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only 3 net grams of carbs in each serving. And get this, it is... Keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, high-protein, and GMO-free. And the best part is it's delicious. Uh, Four amazing flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. Sort of those trips down memory lane. Very nostalgic flavors, and I love them all. It tastes incredible. Too good to be true, but it is real. 
My favorite flavor right now is cocoa. I can drink the chocolatey milk after, and sometimes I just snack on it dry. It's healthy. It's good for you. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans to grab a variety pack and try all four flavors today. Be sure to use promo code dailybeans at checkout for free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. Totally risk-free. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. All of it. No questions asked. Magicspoon.com slash dailybeans. Go there. Use the code dailybeans for free shipping. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. Boy, do we need the good news today. This is the last good news of the year. I'm super excited to to deliver this. Me too. Uh, I think the good news is just going to keep getting better and better, um, although I don't know how we can top some of these good news stories that we've already gotten. There's also some confessions and corrections. Uh, if you have any you want to send in to us or just send us your pod pet pics or pics of your fam, anything, um, send them in. Send them in to, uh, where do you go, dailybeanspod.com and click contact. I almost forgot. I know. I was like, uh, that's your line. That's your line. <laughs> it's line. <laughs> line, please. <laughs> All right, let's kick this off. First up, we've got Mary, pronouns she and her. Hello, my good news is that I feel very lucky to have survived this year. 2020 hasn't affected me as badly as it has affected other people. My husband and I are both reasonably healthy, and the pandemic didn't cause either of us to lose our jobs. Hooray for being essential workers. Although some of our friends did contract COVID early in the pandemic, they all survived and are back to quote-unquote normal, whatever the hell that means. All of this being said, I've been very depressed this year. I tell people that I was an anxious, somewhat depressed child who grew up to be a very anxious, very depressed adult. There have been days where it's been a struggle for me to do things that I need and or want to do. This podcast has been very helpful for my mental health, as has tea, chocolate, and pizza. I'm with you, Mary. Amen. Thanks for listening. I hope 2020 is, 2021 is better for everyone. As we were saying earlier, I think it has to be, just yes. by default. I think it absolutely has to be. For my pet tax, I'm including two pictures of my mom's cat, Lily. She's a very sweet cat. She always runs over to say hello to me whenever she sees me. I've missed her this year. I hope to see her more often next year. Look at the baby. <gasps> oh, sweet, oh. sweet baby. And Mary, I'm, I'm oh, totally with you. I um, This is, I think there's just a darkness with all this death uh that a lot of us that especially that are empathic empathic can't shake and sometimes we don't know what it is but you know there's been days when i've had a hard time getting out of bed you know it's just it it can be tough and um you know like we always say take a break we'll take the baton for you and uh you come back when you can and and we're all still here and we did it we've we've we voted in numbers too big to manipulate. We were we were the heroes yeah. in this story. So always try to remember that. I agree. Well said, AG. Well said. Uh, this next one comes from Cynthia, pronouns she and her. Now, this starts out sounding like bad news, but stick with me. It's not. They all do. They I all know. do, right? Like yep. Disney movies. There's always somebody's parents die, and then, and then the rest of the movie is like a little more uplifting. Right. So it's like Bambi. Right in the fire at the beginning. Uh, yeah. My daughter my daughter and I have two dogs, Lily, who is a 14-year-old white Spitz, and Oscar, an 11-year-old Chinese Crested. Both dogs Chinese weigh 15 crested. pounds, so they're small. Both are also rescues, but are not friends. 
They're rivals for pretty much everything. Although they frequently sleep right next to each other, Lily on top of the covers and Oscar under the covers. I guess the separation provides plausible deniability. (laughs) I'm not touching you. That's such a great line. Um, you know how there are some pets that touch your heart in a special way? And I love all critters, critters, but there are some we just form unique bonds with. Lily is that dog for me. And and to be fair, she is a real asshole. She hates everybody but me and my daughter. She's not a biter, but she's a growler and a grumbler. Uh, she has what we call the smock, the smack talk double bark, where she sounds like she's telling the subject of her ire to back the fuck up and check themselves. Now, Oscar, who is completely devoted to my daughter, is, on the other hand, a clown. He loves everybody. He is ridiculously adorable, and he would like nothing better than to cuddle with you all day. He has what we call dumb dog magic, because while he is dumb as a post, he has the magical ability to get into lidded garbage cans or up onto the dining room table to steal treats. Now, a few months ago, Lily got pancreatitis, excuse me, pancreatitis, and was throwing up and generally miserable. She's always had a delicate stomach, particularly because she's known for eating things that are best not eaten. So she went to visit our vet and came home with antibiotics and instructions to eat chicken and rice for a week. She seemed all better until a week later, it started all over again. Same thing, antibiotics, chicken and rice, and all better until a week later when she was not only throwing up, but she had completely lost her appetite, a completely unheard of event in Lily's life and was having trouble going up and down the stairs or jumping on the couch or the bed. I thought, well, she's 14. This was bound to happen at some point and prepared myself for the bad news. Now the vet decided to keep her for a few days this time in order to run extra tests and give her IV fluids and antibiotics. My daughter and I arranged to visit with her at the clinic the second day she was there. And as she walked in the door, the technician said, We're a little delayed bringing Lily out to you. Uh, Because we were administering her antibiotic shot, we found a trickle of blood on her leg and discovered she had a wound in her hip. Lily looks like a miniature white husky with that same super fluffy double coat. The only place you can see skin on her is her belly, and that only after the clear you clear away all the fluff. Now, what they discovered upon shaving her hind quarter was that she had an abscess in her left hip, which was infecting and just generally gross. Uh, when we saw her, she was stoned to the gills, partially naked, and bleeding from her freshly doctored wound. After that discovery and repair, she was so much better. The vet sent her home the next day with a note in her file suggesting that we, um, that she had bitten in the, oh my God, suggesting that she'd gotten bitten in the house by her housemate, Oscar. She got bitten in the ass by By, Oscar. Right. Oh my God. Deniability. Uh, we will never know what happened between the two of them for now, but everything is great. Lily's back to her old self and in fact is delighted with her new diet, which is a pate like substance for dogs and delicate tummies rather than the crumbly kibbly that Oscar still eats. It's probably an improvement because I suspect after her next dental appointment, she's going to be toothless. Uh, she dances when it's time to eat. She licks my ankles and elbows continuously if they're exposed. And she generally the grumpy old lady we love so dearly. And if you're worried, Oscar's fine too. Although he did enjoy his last few days alone without his nemesis i've attached pictures of both rascals for you thank you uh thanks for all you do love you yep look they don't like each other oh what <laughs> we need to talk <laughs> poor haircut <laughs> lily's poor haircut <laughs> oh my goodness oh how adorable the baby's naked very 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 naked yeah chinese crested or they got the big long hair on their face and then they're naked. Oh my goodness. Else. Thank you for that amazing story. And I'm, g- I'm glad it was just an abscess and yet you found it. That's so good. I know. 
Uh, next up from Amy, pronouns she and her. Hello, I know that I'm sending this after Christmas, but I just found out about this book and I thought the listeners would really enjoy learning about it too. First, a backstory. My husband and I are white, but we have two adopted daughters who are black. For Christmas decorations, we make sure to have representation of both black and white Santa Clauses around the house and explain that no one really knows what Santa actually looks like. As long as our little girls are believers in Santa, we want them to know it's just pos- as possible that he looks like them as anyone else. Uh, Well, I just learned about a wonderful book called Santa's Husband by Daniel Kibblesmith. In the book, Santa Claus is black and his husband, David, is white. Often, David helps out Santa by acting as one of his stand-ins. And this has led to confusion over the years about which one is the real Santa. (laughs) This book is funny and it touches on various issues such as labor disputes with elves in a lighthearted way. And it's fun to read. In the conclusion of the book, um, it also notes that the true... Uh, that it is true that the real Santa could look like almost anyone. So there's no reason to get upset about seeing him depicted different ways. Last night I read the book aloud to my girls who didn't freak out or bat an eye about Santa being married to David. Although I think I now have them hoping that they'll be getting more presents. (laughs) I know the Daily Beans audience believes wholeheartedly in representation. So I thought this book might resonate with some of our listeners. For pet tax, I've included a picture of my two fur babies, our 13-year-old black lab named Stoli and our two-and-a-half-year-old mostly blind barn cat rescue named Callie. Pronounced like the first part of California. Callie has chosen Stoli to be her seeing eye dog. Oh, and typically sleeps cuddled up to her just like in the photo. We think this is because this makes her feel safe. Even though (sighs) Stoli is ancient uh, for a lab, she puts up with close cuddling. Oh my God, look how beautiful this picture is. I mean, the lab is also like, what happened? Like, what is going on here? so cute also if there's a book about a black gay santa can someone get me megan kelly's home address i'd like to send it to her let's do it let's send it we'll send one to pence too let's do it all right this next one's from christian Kristen. excuse me pronouns she and her i don't really know why i'm submitting this i guess i just need to get it out I have on good authority that I'm about to lose my job. I can't go into much more detail, but it's a thought that plagues me uh, most of my waking hours. I've been with this company for more than a third of my life, and while I'll be sad to leave, I feel like I've gotten everything out of my current position that I can get, and there's really nothing else for me to do in a different role. There's so many things I want to do, places I want to go, but I need a source of income. Eh, it's all just money, right? Despite this pervasive anxiety, I have so much good in my life. One of those good things is my cousin's daughter. So my second cousin, cousin once removed, whatever. She's basically my niece. I get to play a part in raising her, and that is one of the best things in the world. She's smart. She's goddamn smart. She's lovely and stubborn and inquisitive and just the fucking best little girl. I'm trying to help my cousin to instill in her all the positive thoughts that have nothing to do with appearance. We have her saying, I'm strong and I'm brave and I'm tough on command now. Saturday after election day, I was meeting up with her, my cousin, and my aunt when the news came in about Biden and Harris officially being declared the winners of the election for the first time. Uh, <laughs> we, we tried to explain to her this was a big deal, especially Kamala. Uh, it's hard for a three-year-old to grasp, but we did get this on video, um, which is the clip that we have. Okay, wait, let's, let's play this. Let's play this. Oh my God, she's adorable. I'm, that's what she says. Tell me that she's not the sassiest little thing. I love, 
Oh my good. Love, love, love. Thank you for all being a bright spot in a dim year. Well, I miss all the previous con- contributors to the pods. I'm so glad to have found Dana. I swear I could listen to you for hours. And AG, thank you for your wit, your determination, and your Germanglish. <laughs> what a very sweet submission. Kristen, thank you so much. That is. That is wonderful. I love that clip. I love how good, I mean, there's so many of your writers and listeners that are just really, really good writers. I know, right? They're just good writers. I love reading their stuff. I feel like it I'm makes, reading an audio book. It makes it so much easier you know it does yeah next up from sarah pronouns she and her my boyfriend and i might have stolen a cat it's hard to tell though (laughs) we were looking at this house and this little guy (laughs) ran across the street like we were lost friends we pet him for a bit and asked him where he lived (laughs) we asked him where he lived i know i could have sworn i heard him say i don't have one but that's probably just what i wanted to hear he probably just purred we went to the house we were going to get a tour uh, the tour of the cat ran in in a different direction but when we got out of the house he came right back to us followed us to the car jumped in felt wrong to take him <laughs> it felt just as wrong to leave him so we brought him home <laughs> The next day, we took him to the vet to check for a chip. He didn't have one, and we got him some shots, and we made an appointment to get him neutered. Oh, I wasn't neutered either. Mm-hmm. He's the friendliest, sweetest, little skinny boy. We did just notice that his claws were trimmed, so there's a pretty good chance that someone's missing their pet. We're going to go back to the neighborhood to see if there are any lost kitty posters up. That's when we'll know if this is good news or a confession. Um, I'm not sure this cat wants to go home <laughs> by these pictures. <laughs> that is a spoiled little fucker right there that is a very big cat too look at that long boy my goodness all right this one is from anonymous pronouns she and her good news the christmas season came and went while many people were understandably bummed by the fact that they were unable to gather in large groups some of us rejoiced right there was no uncomfortable discussion with my boyfriend about whose family should we visit and when. Who gets Christmas Eve? Who gets Christmas morning? How long do we have to spend with each other's eccentric mothers, oddly behaved brothers, and politically fueled fathers with ours, with ours being on opposite ends of one another? Nah. Yeah, with a Zoom here and a Zoom there and a couple of declined invites, we had the holiday in peace and quiet. Him, me, and the tree. 2020 is about to end. While January 1st, 2021... Won't bring sunshine and daisies as the clock strikes midnight. It will end the constant reminders of how shitty 2020 was. The memes, the small talk, the jokes, the word unprecedented. Goodbye to all of that. Here's to vaccines and a new presidency. Wonderful way to end our New Year's Eve show. Thank you for that, Anonymous. Again, well-written, beautifully written stuff. And thanks to everyone for submitting uh, all of these stories. We look forward to your good news stories in the new year. And I appreciate everyone so much. I love you guys. Seriously, all of you so much. So thank you for everything. And uh, I mean, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Amy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, uh, 2020 is over and I just can't be happier about it. I know. I'm I'm signing off for 2020. So the next time I talk to you, it will be the new year and we'll be a few days into it. But AG, just thank you. You know, you all came into my life in the last few months of 2020. And this has been the most challenging year I've ever had as an artist and personally, because so much of what I do is intertwined with bringing joy and performing and hearing that laughter and it when it was taken away. Uh, so the good news stories and my new fans and our new friendship, it's just been a highlight. So I'm so glad you found me and Uh, everyone on your team is fantastic. So I'm just really happy to be here. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here too. And everybody else, we'll see you tomorrow. And um, Dana, have a wonderful weekend and have break legs tonight. And I'll be there with bows on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll give you a big shout out on the Facebook Live. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody, we're going to be doing a countdown. Uh, We've decided to do uh, the Eastern time zone. 
Um, so this Mima can go to bed early. <laughs> it's going to be at 8.30 p.m. Pacific time. And we'll send, this is just for patrons, we'll send you a link. And we'll have a cocktail ring in the new year in New York. It sounds good. Maybe I'll pop on. Since I'm going to be done with my work, I'll be home alone in, in L.A. Yeah, pop on. Pop All on. Right. It'll be good to see you. All right, everybody. Uh, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health. Take care of the planet. Fuck 2020. Peace out. I'm A.G. And I'm D.G. And them's the beans. Did I say peace out? I did. God, that's dumb. You did, you, but you said peace out. I did. I want peace out. <laughs> I'm my own hype man today. Peace out. <laughs> you are the Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>